Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. What is the rapture? The rapture is that future event when Christ will descend from heaven and resurrect the bodies of believers whose spirits have already gone on to heaven. And then we will be reunited with loved ones who have preceded us. If we die, our spirit goes into God's presence, our body stays in the ground. When the rapture comes, our body is resurrected. Yes, a bodily resurrection happens. Now, if you are one of the people on the earth, you're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And that's a word in 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says we'll be caught up to meet the Lord, it's the Greek word harpazo. And it means to take forcibly, to snatch, or to be caught up. That's Greg Gloria of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, preaching about the rapture in his recent sermon series on the end of the world. I had a parishioner approach me and my colleague at church after the service just this last Sunday and ask, do we Lutherans believe in the rapture? The answer was no. So what is being taught there in 1 Thessalonians 4 and allegedly elsewhere in Scripture? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon, September the 8th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller will join us to talk about Greg Laurie and rapture theology. We'll spend some time with Pastor Paul Norris. He is a former police officer for 10 years in a suburb of the Dallas Metroplex. We'll discuss the vocation of police officer. Then it's part seven of our series, Kids Have Questions. Today we'll continue our conversation on death and dying and get into some questions of sexuality and identity with Pastor Jonathan Connor. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolf Miller One, and he is author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed? Brian, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. So, first of all, let's just deal with the basic definition that teachers like Greg Laurie are operating with. What he said there in that cut as we were coming into the break sounded pretty good, about 99% of it, but he used that term rapture, and that's really a technical term for a very specific teaching, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's the idea that Jesus will come halfway back to the earth and take his Christians out before the events unfold at the end times. And and when you're into this dispensational rapture discussion, one of the buzzwords that you'll hear is, are you a pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or dirt of tribulation rapturist? And and this is some of the details that people will get into about when this event happens in with concurrent uh, of the return of Christ. And so Greg Laurie and Calvary Chapel are clearly in the pre-tribulation rapture camp. We can explain that maybe a little bit more. But it's the idea that there's a separation between the Lord's coming in glory and this great snatching up of the Lord's people, getting the church out of the way so, as the dispensationalist will say, the Lord can go back to dealing with his people Israel that he hasn't finished dealing with. 
Now, this is a a very new, it's maybe a couple hundred years old now, very novel idea of the second coming, but it's really captured the minds and imaginations of a lot of half fundamentalist or conservative evangelicals. When they start talking about the end of the world, they start talking about rapture. They start putting up the bumper stickers. If the rapture happens, this car will be unmanned. They start making movies and reading books like the Left Behind series. And Calvary Chapel itself has, I think, three or four of their theological distinctives have to do with this understanding of the end times, which is unique amongst the churches, that this plays such an important role in their theological framework. So you've used a couple terms there that need explanation, dispensational. Yeah. Maybe if we take a half step back and get a running start, when we talk about the end times, the theological term for that is eschatology or the doctrine of the end, there's really three major categories, maybe four, of views of the end times. And they have to do with the relationship of the return of Jesus and the 1,000 years that's discussed in Revelation 20. So that 1,000 years, it's the kilios is the thousand words in Greek, or millennium is that word into Latin. And where you place the return of Jesus in relation to that thousand years determines if you are a premillennialist, Jesus comes back before the 1,000 years to set it up, or a postmillennialist, Jesus comes back after the 1,000 years, this great church age culminates, or what's sometimes called amillennialism or realized millennialism that says that that 1,000 years should be understood as a description of the church age. And I think the Bible is really plain on the amillennial position. I think it's wonderful to look at and to speak about that. We've talked about that before. So you have those three basic ideas. This premillennialism is what the, uh, most evangelicals are. It's certainly what Calvary Chapel is. But there's a historic version of premillennialism that you can find in the early church, that Jesus will return and set up this kingdom. You can find that in a lot of the early church fathers. It's, they were divided about this until the time of Augustine, when amillennialism really kind of captured the confession and teaching of the church. You can find a historic pre-mill back then, but maybe a couple hundred years ago, a unique version of premillennialism developed, and we use this distinction, dispensational premillennialism, to set it apart from historic premillennialism. Dispensational premillennialism has three unique distinctives. It claims to have a literal reading of the scripture. It claims to distinguish between God's earthly people, Israel, and his heavenly people, the church. And it also makes this distinction, the role of all history is the glory of God, not the salvation of man. They just they kind of pull that over from Calvinism. But the big thing for dispensationalism is this distinction between Israel and the church. And the dispensationalist believes that God has not finished his dealings with Israel. He hasn't kept all of the Old Testament promises for that Old Testament people. They'll, for example, go to the 70 weeks of Daniel and say, look, there's still more time left in that stopwatch. And the rapture fits into this by saying that Jesus has to get his spiritual people, the church, out of the way so that he can go back to dealing with his earthly people, Israel, and keep the promises. And so that seven-year tribulation is the last of the 70 weeks of Daniel where the Lord goes back to dealing with his people. And that's the big doctrine of dispensationalism and really one of the big problems with dispensationalism. Laurie not only teaches, he mentioned First Thessalonians 4, 
he teaches that that is kind of the go-to verse for the rapture. It's kind of the outline of what will happen. If this is not the teaching that Jesus will return kind of halfway to earth, snatch up the Christians, take them out of the earth, and then deal with his real people, his historic people, the Jews, what is being taught there? Yeah, there's two passages that are so important that 1 Thessalonians 4.13 and following, 1 Corinthians 15.51 and following, and both teach the same doctrine. And and once you see it, it's like, oh, that's it's so clear. The, the Corinthians and the Thessalonians had the same question. Paul had taught them about the resurrection. And I appreciate how in that opening clip, Greg Laurie mentioned the physical resurrection of the dead. That's right. We will be physically raised on the last day. We confess it from the scriptures every Sunday. I believe in the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, so that the body that we have right now will be the body that's raised in glory on the last day. That's great. So we confess week after week. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. But then the question is, what happens if we're still alive when Jesus returns on the last day? Is Jesus going to put us to death and then raise us? Or if we're alive, are we going to miss the resurrection? There's all sorts of questions that arise out of our confession of the resurrection of the dead. And that is what Paul is teaching about in these two places. If you wanted to, you could just call it the resurrection of the living. And when we realize that, that the Lord has a unique thing planned for those of us who are still alive when he returns, the dead will be raised, but we who are left behind will be transformed, will be changed, then these passages make so much sense. With that question in your mind, I'll just read 1 Thessalonians 4.13 and a few other verses. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What is Paul teaching there, if not a rapture? Well, he's saying that when when the Lord returns in glory, and how amazing that the rapturist has to teach that the rapture is not the second coming. It's a distinct event that happens seven years plus before the second coming. And it's not the general resurrection. It's not the general judgment. And that it is, in fact, a secret. It's something that all of a sudden people are kind of just missing, gone, blamed on an alien invasion or something like that. It's That's the idea. But, but Paul makes pains to say that this is not going to be a secret event. It, it's it's hard to imagine how much more public an event could be when it says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the resurrection of the dead. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds so that, so that we who are alive at the time of Christ, we won't miss the resurrection. 
We won't be put to death to be raised from the dead, but the Lord will, by his power, mysteriously transform our mortal and corruptible bodies and our sinful souls so that they will be fit for the resurrection. We will be raised even while we're alive. That's the mystery of what Paul is talking about, and it's a glorious mystery. That's why it's full of so much comfort. We don't have to worry if we're alive when the Lord comes. If we're going to miss the resurrection, no, the Lord will in fact change us and we'll meet together with him in this glorified body that the saints are waiting for. We're talking about Greg Glory and rapture theology. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest, author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed? When we get back, we'll hear from Lori on John 14 and Matthew 24. Stay tuned. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Sons of Sceva, Demetrius's beef with Paul, riot in Ephesus, an appeal for order, Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, visit lcms.org slash schools. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. We're talking about Greg Laurie and Rapture Theology. So, Brian, here is Greg Laurie from his sermon series on the end of the world, talking about the teaching of the secret rapture in John's Gospel. Is this event spoken of elsewhere in Scripture? As a matter of fact, yes. In John 14, Jesus spoke of the rapture when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. How do you respond, Brian? What a beautiful text. What a beautiful comfort that the Lord Jesus gives, that he will receive us into his eternal mansions, and that he makes a way for us to be there. We, we want to remember that the way that Jesus makes a way for us you know, I used to think of this as like Jesus is like building an extra apartment on top of the garage or something. He's he's making physical space. But the problem in heaven is not that there's not enough physical space for us. The problem in heaven is that God's holiness is there, which excludes us sinners. And so the way that Jesus prepares a place for us is by taking our sin onto himself and dying in our place so that we can stand before God the Father, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and rejoicing in his love instead of in his wrath. And this Jesus accomplishes in his death and resurrection, and he brings to fruition in his ascension, so that now all who die are received into these eternal mansions. And this is not only true of the individual Christian's death, but also at the judgment on the last day when Jesus says, come to the place prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is judgment talk. And the end of the world talk, to take this and to put it onto the rapture, I mean, once you have this kind of idea in place that there's kind of a pre-second coming and then a second second coming, and then at the end of the millennium, like a third second coming, and you start pulling all these things apart, you can take any verse and then you're trying to figure out, well, what does it apply to? Does it apply to the first second coming or the second second coming or the third second coming? But this is Jesus giving us comfort, not only in death, but also at the end of the world. And I cannot see any explicit teaching in the text that would indicate otherwise. And it really does impact the gospel, doesn't it? Because if the whole point of the secret rapture is to kind of get the church out of the way, because the church was plan B, the cross was plan B under dispensationalism, so that God could get back to doing what he really planned to do, which was save Israel through the old covenant sacrificial system, that makes Jesus on the cross, it diminishes his sacrifice, doesn't it? Yeah. These old school dispensationalists said a lot of really embarrassing things like that. Like Jesus came, for example, to establish an earthly kingdom, but because his people rejected him, then he was like, well, I'll pivot to the cross. And that idea that the cross is plan B is embarrassing. I think a lot of dispensationalists now, when you can find them, they're not around as much. I don't, it's kind of vintage Calvary Chapel. They're and in some ways, it's kind of nice. It's these old school evangelicals. It just reminds us of the 90s. And I don't know, there's there's something fun about it. But they've had to modify all the old dispensational ideas because they were, as you said, clearly embarrassed about the gospel. And they have this idea that the Lord saves people differently in these seven dispensations. So in the dispensation of innocence, salvation before the fall, salvation looked different than after the dispensation of man, the dispensation of Noah, the dispensation of Abraham, the dispensation of Moses, that was the Jewish people and the Sinai dispensation. And salvation happens in that dispensation by obedience to the covenant law. And then you have the dispensation of grace, the church, where we're saved by grace. But then once this dispensation is over, then it's back to the works of the law. And it's a really an amazing thing. Seeing the center of the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, is not the sacrificial death of the Messiah, of the second person of the Trinity in our flesh for us, and the forgiveness of sins that it brings to us, that is not for them the central point of the Scripture. The central point of the Scripture, especially the Old Covenant, 
is Israel, according to the flesh, Israel. And so they see things like the sacrifice being renewed, the, the temple being rebuilt, and the sacrifices being offered on the temple in the millennium. So that when Jesus comes back, the dispensationalist teaches that Jesus will sit on the throne of David in a reconstructed castle in Jerusalem with the reconstructed temple, and Jesus will oversee animal sacrifices for a thousand years in the reconstructed temple. Now, if the evangelical gets upset with the Catholic who says that the Lord's Supper is a re-sacrifice of Christ, which we should get upset at the Catholic for teaching that, how much more should we get upset that Jesus is himself going to be offering these animal sacrifices in the new millennium? It's an astonishingly empty view of the work of Jesus in his incarnation and in his crucifixion. Here's Greg Laurie finding the rapture in Matthew's Gospel. In the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Jesus says, Two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a mill, one will be taken and the other left. So keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. What context to those verses there really show that Lori's getting it exactly backwards? Well, Jesus is talking about the second coming, and he compares the time of the second coming to the days of Noah. And the flood came, and it took all those away who were not in the ark, and those who were left were the ones who were in the ark. And so to be taken away is to be taken away in judgment, and to remain is to pass through judgment to life eternal. That's the full context of the text. And, and I think this is, we confess this, that at the last day, there's really two things. When the Lord returns in glory, there's a resurrection. So there's a gathering, all people are gathered together, and then there's a separation. And some are sent to destruction and others are brought into the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is talking about. The question that we should ask the dispensationalist about Matthew 24 when they want to apply this to the rapture, is why not apply this to the second coming? And if this is talking about the rapture, what texts are talking about the second coming? At some point, you don't have any, what would be in their scheme, second, second coming. You don't have any second, second coming text left. They're all kind of pulled into the rapture. So we do confess that the return of the Lord Jesus will be an astonishing surprise and bring a severe separation of the sheep and the goats. And that's what Jesus is teaching here in the entirety of the two chapters here, Matthew 24 and 25. You had mentioned earlier in our conversation, 1 Corinthians 15. Here is how Greg Laurie interpreted in terms of a secret rapture. The Apostle Paul also referred to it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. But will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What is First Corinthians 15 teaching there? What a beautiful text. I, it's, if we just have that same question that we brought to First Thessalonians 4, which is, what happens to those who are alive when the Lord returns? then we see that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's obviously, again, talking about the last day. Jesus says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. And then when perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then comes to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Be steadfast and movable, my beloved brothers. What oh, This hope of the resurrection that fills us with patience and endurance in the suffering of, of the, this corruptible life, the corruption not only of our own souls in sin, but the corruptions of our bodies and being drawn to the grave, that is one day going to end. And if we're in the grave, it ends in resurrection. And if we're still alive, it ends in the mystery that Paul is talking about, the perishable putting on the imperishable, this change. And so again, this text is talking about the resurrection of the living, is what we can call it. So the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. And so we won't miss the resurrection, we won't miss eternal life, we won't be put in into the ground so that we can be raised up, but the mystery is this transformation of our fallen bodies to be fit for glory and eternal life and to stand before the Lord and to see his face and to receive him as our savior and our friend and our king. This is what's going to happen at the last trumpet. Now, you could ask, I mean, I think a simple question to the dispensationalists on this text is, are there trumpets, in your view, after this trumpet? Because the seven-year tribulation, which is described for example, in Revelation, as they take it, has seven trumpets that are being blown. If that's the case, if there's all these trumpets that happen during the tribulation, then why does Paul say, this is the last trumpet? <laughs> and they have to stretch and say, well, it's the last trumpet of this dispensation and all this sort of stuff. And at to which point we can just say, I want to read the Bible literally. That's what they always are accusing us of, of reading the Bible symbolically and not literally. But look at what it says. The last trumpet's going to blow. And the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. And, and that gives us hope. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing Greg Laurie and Rapture Theology with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, author of the book, Has American Christianity Failed? You can purchase this book by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. When we come back, Greg Laurie says even Jesus himself was raptured. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org.
The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. An oasis in the desert of pop American Christianity. You're listening to Issues Etc. Sioux Falls, South Dakota has big city nemities with small town feel, civil freedom, and the natural beauty of its namesake waterfalls. It is also home to Christ Lutheran Church, where the living water Christ Himself flows. Located near I-90 and I-229, Christ Lutheran offers divine service with Holy Communion each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Learn more about this confessional liturgical parish at ChristSiouxFalls.org. Christ Lutheran Church, building upon Christ. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Greg Laurie and Rapture Theology with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Okay, Brian, here's a final cut from Greg Laurie where he argues that it's kind of the capstone of his argument that even Jesus himself was raptured. Was not, in effect, Jesus raptured in the ascension because what happens, we read that he is there giving the great commission to his disciples. And then in Acts 1, 9 it says, And then he was taken up into the sky as they were watching and disappeared into a cloud. As they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here staring at the sky? Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will someday return again. So, yes, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. All right, Brian, how would you respond to Jesus himself was raptured? <laughs> well, okay. So is Enoch, I suppose. And this is fine. It's true that Jesus was taken up into heaven in this way. It's true also that, that we will as well, that we will be transformed. And like a city, this is the picture of the return of Jesus. When, if you can imagine a conquering king returning home, and the people empty out of the city, and they go out to meet him, and they return with him, and walk with him in procession into his palace. So when the Lord Jesus returns in glory, we, his people, will be brought up into the air to meet him, and to return with him in glory, and to accompany him back. We confess that. This is what the Bible teaches. And if you want to call that the rapture, that moment when those who are alive at the return of Jesus are given their new bodies— to accompany the Lord back for his work of resurrection and judgment. It's great. It's just a completely different thing. This is the biggest difference is that this event, this resurrection of the living, is concurrent with the Lord's return in glory. 
And Greg Laurie and the dispensationalists want to separate these events. He wants to pull it seven years plus earlier and make it a unique and distinct event from the second coming. And that's the biggest problem. It is exegetically completely untenable and theologically completely unnecessary and dangerous. This need for separating these two events, the catching up in the air and the return of Jesus in glory, the reason why they have to separate it is because they bring these theological presuppositions to bear. The idea that God still has work to do with his earthly people, Israel. This idea that there's two plans for salvation and two plus covenants that the Lord is working under. And that theology necessitates this separation. But the Bible does not. Jesus does not. And I would say when it comes to this catching up in the air and the return of the Lord in glory, let's not separate what the Lord has joined together here. These two things are one glorious event, the last trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the return of the Lord in glory, the transformation of the living, the Christian set for glory and the resurrection of the dead gathered together into the place that the Lord has prepared by his death and resurrection. This is all all together in one piece. In practical terms, what is it like for many who believe this notion of a secret rapture? And I'm thinking here especially about young people. I've talked to people who used to believe it, and they say, you know, I'd wake up on a Saturday morning expecting my parents to be down there at the dinner table, and they weren't there, and I was suddenly struck with terror that I had, <laughs> I had missed the rapture, and then I hear the lawnmower outside, oh, okay, dad's just mowing the grass, and mom's in the garden. But I feared that I had missed the rapture. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. I remember one time I was driving along and the Christian radio station just suddenly stopped. And I thought, I thought the same thing. I thought, I missed it. I missed it. There's an interesting thing when it comes to the second coming that the Lord wants us to have two distinct ideas about the second coming. And on the one hand, that it can be at any time. And on the other hand, that we're going to have to wait. That's the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. We have to be ready to wait, and we have to be ready to receive the Lord when he comes. And so we have a twofold readiness, a readiness for his return in glory and a readiness for waiting for that return for years. And the scripture would teach us that twofold readiness with patience and faith so that by faith we're ready for the Lord to return. One of the things that the dispensationalists likes to do is to read the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, and in that way, churn up this eschatological fervor, this eschatological expectation to where we're seeing things like the war in Ukraine and QR codes and the COVID and the vaccine. These are all fulfillments of biblical prophecies that indicate that we're getting closer and closer and closer to the end. Now, look, the Lord wants us to be ready, and every single Christian in every single era has confessed, I'm living at the end, because that's what Jesus wants us to confess. We're ready for his return. But if he waits, then that's also his prerogative and his gracious prerogative, waiting for more to come to salvation. And so we're ready for endurance as well. But there's a, a sort of unreasonable either fearfulness or excitement or nervousness that the dispensationalism, the dispensationalist is invited into. You're always trying to figure out what prophecy is yet to be fulfilled and what prophecy is fulfilled in Russia mounting war with China and all this kind of, oh, that's a Gog and Magog. This, this kind of strange trying to interpret the Bible with the newspaper is an unsettling proposition. Jesus can return at any moment, which means that there are no more promises to keep. 
Every single promise of God is yes and amen in Christ. Every single promise he gave to his Old Testament people, he has kept in Christ. Every single promise that he has given to the church is kept in Christ. And the only thing that we're waiting for is that return in glory. And so that sets us to put aside the newspaper when we're reading the Bible and see in the scriptures the very beating heart of it, which is that God, the Son, has taken on our flesh and blood so that he can take on our guilt and shame and die in our place and rise from the dead, destroying our death and setting us free from the bondage of the devil and be our savior. If we don't see that in the scriptures, then we've missed the point. And I'm always afraid with the dispensationalism that it's an exercise in missing the point. With one minute, why is the biblical teaching of Christ's return in glory and the resurrection more comforting than the notion of a secret rapture? Well, I mean, first of all, the way that the rapture is positioned is that it's it's a deliverance from all of these terrible sort of things that are going to happen. Uh, there, this seven years of the great tribulation that's going to unfold after the rapture, according to the dispensationalists, is that the church is graciously being rescued from that as if the uh, – and so it, it's this anxiety of all the difficulties that are going to come onto the earth. But the Lord does not – sometimes he'll give us relief and deliverance from trouble, but he does not set us to look for escape from trouble. He sends his church right into the midst of trouble. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. We're not taught to look for an escape from trouble, but to confess Christ and let come what may, so that we know that in this life, we will have tribulations, but we're of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. And when he comes back in glory, that victory will be manifest to all. And we'll be there on his right with the lambs gathered in his name, with our names written on his book of life, clothed in his righteousness, given in baptism, not afraid of his judgment, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that we cannot miss this gift of life. If we're living or if we're dead, the Lord will have us in his eternal kingdom. And that's the hope that we have. So Jesus teaches, this is in Luke when he's teaching about the end times. He says, when you see these things happening, when you hear that trumpet, don't run for the mountains. Lift up your head because your redemption draws near. The one who's coming back for us is the one who died on the cross for us. And when he comes back, we'll see, I think, leading the way, those wounds, those hands raised in blessing, where we know for sure that he, in fact, is our friend and our Savior, and the one who loves us and delights in us, and then he's coming back so that we can be with him forever. That's a glorious comfort. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolf Miller One, and he's author of several books, including His American Christianity Failed. You can read Pastor Wolf Miller's column on dispensationalism at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Brian, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. We'll be discussing the vocation of a police officer with Pastor Paul Norris, a former police officer, right after the break. Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. 
This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about the Messianic message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org 